Everybody, uh, this is Dave, and I'm, I'm, I actually have uh, two guests on the show right now. We've got uh, Jan Mark Holzer, who was in our previous episode, and also James Kirkland. Um, and so, um, you guys know Jan Mark from the last episode, uh, who's from our CTO's office. But um, James, why don't you introduce yourself? Say what you do at Red Hat. So uh, I'm James Kirkland. I'm the or a or however you want to say it, but uh, chief architect uh, at Red Hat, and my remit is. Intelligent Systems and Internet of Things, uh, and I work in our Global Partner Alliance organization. So uh, what I do is, is basically uh, come up with, with architectures and white papers and ref- reference architectures uh, that are then used uh, to, to help our partners you know, use our, our products to build solutions for their end customers. Okay, so how did you, you weren't hired into that role. It was no. a long journey. How did, how did you get to this point? So I started here about... Uh, Five and a half years ago uh, with Red Hat, um, and I uh, started out just as a solutions architect working mm-hmm. with, with sales reps and trying to keep them honest. And <laughs> That's hard work. Yeah. It is, yeah. <laughs> um, and two of my customers were rail customers, uh, and they... R- ra- uh, rail, 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 yeah, not yeah. rail. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah, some people do say rail, I'm rail. Right. Yeah. especially uh, it was Canadians, I don't yeah. know, it's crazy Canadians. So rail, railway customers. Yes, railway okay. customers, um, and freight rails to be specific. Um, and we had at that time come out with Merge Messaging, which was our messaging product at the time and has evolved into AMQ. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about AMQP, the messaging standard, and um, came across a use case, which was uh, there was a project called Positive Train Control. Mm-hmm. And Positive Tra- Train Control is a uh, congressional mandate for safety within the rail system. Um, and it, it came from a uh, crash in Chatsworth in the L.A. Basin in 2008, where um, a passenger train, uh, the conductor, was texting on his cell phone or using mm-hmm. his cell phone and went through a, a red light, essentially a signal that told him to stop and hit a, uh, a freight train and killed 25 plus people. And it was just really horrible. So out of that came legislation, which had actually been proposed for years, but had never, never, you know, it was sort of the event that, that, that caused, it. caused it. Um, and so it mandated this national system uh, of train control, wherever hazardous materials or passengers and freight, um, were were being moved. So um, the rail industry was, you know, back five years ago was trying to decide on the technologies that they were going to use. And one of the sort of the imperatives that they had um, was to do this in an open standards way so that they don't have necessarily vendor lock-in. They, they've had, in you know, the rail industry in the past has experienced, had some experience with that. And, you know, it, it, it became frustrating, so that was one of the things they wanted to, to do was was have it be open standards based. So, you know, I got involved from an AMQP perspective, um, began working with the rail industry, and um, it became apparent pretty quickly that that uh, they were interested in using uh, our Red Hat Enterprise Linux and and our messaging product to is a basis for for the communications portion of this safety system. So essentially. Um, all the actors in the system communicate over AMQP yep. to to emanate status, emanate con- so that you know where trains are and what they're doing. You can communicate how back to them how fast they're supposed to be going or whether they need to stop. Um, you know the status of the the tra- quote unquote traffic signals mm-hmm. along mm-hmm. the the side of the tracks called waysides. Um, so that, you know, they work like a traffic light, red, green. Um, I don't know that they have yellow, but, (laughs) um, and it goes beyond just the trains. There's also a lot of injury and death that happens with, um, maintenance, um, because the maintenance folks either go out and just, you know, drive up in a car and get our truck and get out and start working, or they have a vehicle called a high railer, which is hybrid rail, which can ride either on the road or, yeah, yeah, so they have those steel wheels that drop. Um, and it, it it's hard to track where they are and, and track where the trains are. And oh, so they're tracked too. Yeah, they have to be tracked. Um, so it it 
this will be a comprehensive system. And what will differentiate it is that before each railroad may have individually had their own system, this will be interoperable. So it'll be a national system so that, you know, Railroad A has a locomotive that's going over Railroad B's tracks. It will be able to get authority and, you know, it'll be able to go back to its own parent railroad or communicate with the roads that it's on and, so it, it it's it's a great system. It's really what int- introduced me into the Internet of Things. Is, yeah. You know these massively connected systems, and it was then that I sort of began looking around at other use cases where this model fit, and, and yeah. tried to tried to kind of extrapolate the trends and, and what Red Hat had to offer that that differentiated us. Yeah, so so you went from being uh, an account SA to being the train guy. <laughs> yeah. So now now you're the uh, Internet of Things guy and the intelligent systems guy. Yeah. yeah. But, but one of the interesting things that you bring up that I don't think a lot of people know of, yeah. and I think this is where we might be able to bring you on, and is that you know AMQP it's not a train thing. Right? No. It didn't have its genesis. So you know, do you want to talk about that uh, where where AMQP came from? Sure. Yeah, actually, James is the much bigger authority <laughs> at the, on this, but I think uh, AMQP has been a great example how we actually work with customers and not only sort of give them the ability to consume open source in an enterprise way in terms of stability, maintenance, development, but actually also do it the other way around where they develop technology, which they feel very strongly about, like in the case of AMQP, um, where we had a customer of ours on Wall Street being tired of being locked in into a proprietary messaging technology and just decided to architect their own, but then also realized, wow, this is we, we've built something really cool, but this is really hard work to maintain, and it's a lot of effort, and we could actually spend the money we spend on the engine actually on adding value on top of it, build our own algorithm, you know, faster, better trading engines, whatever it might be. So we actually partnered with the customer and said, hey, why don't we take on your engineering team, bring them into Red Hat, we make it an open source project, um, you still can consume the technology, but you no longer have to carry the burden of, yeah, maturing it, going through certification, all right. the stuff. And But you still have influence upstream driving the capabilities because we will work with you. So we, we worked with them and we did this with many other things. And I guess, as James said, I think the, the whole sort of Internet of Things area is, I think, really exciting, especially when you look at the messaging and fabric side. I think there's a huge opportunity for us with AMQ Lots of excitement, really, really cool use cases. So. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's really, it's going from, if it was just Wall Street, that one Wall Street yep. customer doing it all themselves, it wouldn't be as good yep. as now you have people from the, the railway, you know, consuming yep. it, providing feedback, yep. having us fix it, um, people in defense using yep. it, uh, all over, uh, yep. and others, uh, even, even their competition using it. And you see it in embedded device use where people don't even realize there might be AMQP in there and routers and whatnot. So it is, it is very exciting. And again, it allowed customers to become yeah, less uh, tied into a single technology, but really use a standard and then have pluggable components into it. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and you know we've from the different projects that I've I've worked on, we see, um, especially with this use case, unique features that that come or requirements that come out that that over the the past four years, you know, we've taken from the customers and fed back into our product roadmap. And, and if you look over the last four years, there've been developments in in products and in messaging and other products that that add capabilities that enhance this use case. Um, when you when you look at messaging with especially mobile assets, um, where communications come and go, you have to you have to have different aspects to a messaging system. Um, I think messaging is the right way to handle these because messaging is asynchronous versus something like REST. Yes. Um, so it's the right way to handle it. But you know the most messaging systems aren't designed for things to come and go quickly. Yeah. So you, you have to make some changes to how they, they, they federate and pass messages and things like that. Um, but I, I think we've been really good and really agile at taking that and, and moving it back into the community. If you look at uh, like uh, a community project like Cupid Dispatch that we're working out in the community, um, which is essentially uh, a message router um, that can be brokered or brokerless that uh, is sort of like uh, you know an OSPF style routing, but at the message layer. And I think that's where things are going to be going for both cloud and and for um, 
the Internet of Things, and, and I don't think cloud and Internet of Things are that dissimilar. I think cloud is the the back office portion, and, mm-hmm. and the cloud edge essentially is are all these devices generating data. I mean, it, it, in the end, it's all about data with the Internet of Things. It's about capturing data, analyzing it, and turning it into information, and then taking that information and turning it into intelligence through business rules so yes. that you then act on it yes. and then sending it to the back office for long-term analysis to turn it into knowledge so that you can create more business rules. I, I think that's the model. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's what I was going to ask you. My next question is what is an intelligent system? But I, to me, it's a lot of times if, you, if a customer goes to Red Hat and they just buy RHEL and right. they just use RHEL, or they just buy JBoss and they just use JBoss, or they just buy Rev and they just use Rev. They're not, I, I think it's a combination of, of multiple products is where they could see that incredible value of running the messaging on top of RHEL to, and have it virtualized, being able to talk to a business rule system right. and, and really automating your business. So, so what's it, go ahead. Yeah, so for example, if you use Smart Grid as an example, you have all these smart meters that are emitting data constantly about yeah, the electrical meters right, right the electrical yeah. meters um usually at the substation is is a collection point you know the substation sort of handles power di- distribution to multiple neighborhoods or to multiple businesses and that's typically where most of the the sensor and intel you know the the, the data is sort of gathered so there's this mid-plane control uh plane that you see typically sort of a three-tier architecture. There's the sensor edge, like this in the smart grid would be the smart meters. There's the substation, which is sort of the control plane. Um, and then there's the back office cloud application. So at that, that mid-tier, that control plane, what we typically see is the data comes in via messaging, via probably MQTT from the smart meters. That mm-hmm. seems to be you know, exceptionally lightweight and AMQ handles that. Um, it then puts it into AMQP so that it's routable and, and takes that data and um, puts it into, you know, maybe something like a JBoss data grid so that you know constantly no state or it may put it in, you know, in some different format that's analyzable or um, is analyzable a word? I don't know. Uh, Anyway, sorry. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, 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 no, it is. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I'll call, I just, I'll call Webster. After yeah, as soon as we're done here. <laughs> um, and then, so it, it takes that and then presents it to business rule to BRMS or to mm-hmm. some business rules engine that then analyzes for patterns, say an under voltage on a line, and then when it gets the under voltage, it, it triggers a bank of capacitors, um, maybe sends an alert to the to the to the uh, um, distribution management system in the back office. Um, and the lines brought back up. Mm-hmm. Um, you may have a, a an area that you can that is suddenly you know has capacity problems because it's hot or, or whatever. Right, right. But maybe it, it makes the decision based on that to go and um, turn off electric vehicle charging stations for a period of time in order to cut demand. Um, what we see is that that near field, that mid tier uh, control tier. In most industrial applications, you know, not Nest or the consumer-focused stuff that goes straight back to the cloud, but in the in the business side, you need that near-field piece because you have a short period of time that information is actionable. Mm-hmm. And if you don't take action within that short period of time, the data is useless. It's yep. too late. The, the event horizon has passed. So what you do is you, you tactically analyze the data and use it in, the, in that mid-plane um, to optimize your system. And then it goes to the back office and you turn it into long-term knowledge where you say, okay, we've noticed these patterns. Let's turn those into rules. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's, let, let's do a Hadoop analysis of all our demand data and see where, you know, in this area we see, you know, 10% faster growth in car charging stations or in, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, so let's put additional capacity there. You know, there's a lot of different things in the back office where you can reap out of that data that turns it into, into you know, longer term value. James made a lot of really good comments. And I think um, clearly Internet of Things is uh, a really, really interesting area now, a great area for us to, again, uh, uh, branch out beyond just being the back-end infrastructure provider, but really add the value around, like, yeah, messaging rules are a really big topic. And one one topic James brought up, which a lot of people haven't realized, is, like, 
the the analysis of data has really moved much closer to the devices yes. and because i was now joke these days where as soon as the, the data hits the device it's already old for many right. use cases right, so right. really getting the the analytics done very early on is is really key and um, i just went out to to germany a couple of weeks ago to an internet of things event called bosch connected world yes. where they have a whole business unit called as uh, bosch si and um, they do internet of things And I mean, we all know a lot of stuff gets relabeled. They have like these remote controlled vacuum right. robots and there's suddenly Internet of Things. But it was amazing to see this event. There were 700 people showed up to the first event they ever did and extremely high caliber people. Um, so like from BMW, like on average, a BMW today has like 100 sensors built in and they're all connected wow. to the Internet, for example. So they transmit constant data back to the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of really cool technology coming. Another area which has come up, which was really interesting to see this all around data privacy and yes. whatnot, yes. but that's something we probably don't need to cover here, <laughs> but there was, uh, there was some very interesting uh, thoughts and, and, and uh, discussions throughout the conference yeah. because people ask, well, who owns, for example, the data from my car? Right, and right. the BMW guy in an audience of 700 people yeah. said without even thinking, Oh, belongs to BMW. We will, we can mine it. We might sell it, and seven hundred people. And whoa! Yeah, that's, well, so. and, and there's societal implications yeah, to this, absolutely. and legal implications that we've got to solve that are really going to drastically change industries. If you look at um, traffic management and the autonomous car movement, yeah. um, I think that's going to be. I mean, you think about people with limited mobility, the elderly. It's yeah. going to have a huge impact because they can have a car and not have to drive it. Right. Um, but you think about the industries that are going to be deeply impacted by that, taxis, yes. uh, freight trucking. I mean, yes. yeah, I, yeah. I think those are both areas that it will quickly, you know, if this does develop the way we think, will quickly be changed. And unionized. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so what, what we uh, – the other thing that – and it's just kind of funny is you think about a car wreck um, yeah. if, if you, and, and insurance – in that system, if you have two autonomous cars and you get into a car wreck, it's, it's not like you can sue the other driver right. because they're not at fault. Do you sue Google? Do you right. sue, yeah. you know, BMW? Who? So it's going to change the insurance uh, industry. It's yeah. going to change the legal framework around a lot of these things and liability. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I mean, it's really interesting. Yeah. So that that's really cool and. I think we got to cut things short because we're getting kicked out of this room. <laughs> so, um, so James, if people wanted to learn more about um, intelligent systems and and read about the show notes and and catch up uh, with us on the podcast, where should we send them? DGShow.org. Very good, very good. I'm glad you knew that. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thanks everybody, and we'll see you next time. All right, so now we're back, um, and uh, so Gunnar, we got kicked out of the room by this guy named Lee Congdon, and so we had to find another room, and Yon uh, Mark went off to another uh, meeting, so it's now back to, to James and I, and uh, so let, let's continue the conversation now. So there are a bunch of announcements at the summit, you know, around uh, Docker, container technology, um, things like that. And a lot of times people just look at that as, oh, it's a point product or it's, it's so how, how would something like that map to intelligent systems and internet yeah. of things? So I, I think the two biggest problems in, in intelligent systems, the internet of things are security and manageability, right? Mm -hmm. Because these are internet connected devices. And as we've seen with, you know, the, the, internet connected fridge and all that being hacked mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. these devices are hackable and then you see something like Heartbleed that is going to affect the interaction with all these devices you've got to you know have most likely a certificate system that that identifies the devices so that you don't get man in the middle um, but then you also have need to have a way to distribute software on a semi-regular basis to these systems But it's got to be very slim. They have small disks. It costs a lot of money to deploy software to them. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's emerging, uh, and, and I'm really glad that, that Red Hat's, you know, sort of at the vanguard of this movement working with Docker, is, you know, I mean, you look at the heritage of embedded, it's typically been you build just enough OS from the bottom up. Yep. 
um, and you have a you know a build system that that builds a custom kernel and builds everything and you know it's incredibly complex but it builds from nothing up to a very small footprint whereas what we're doing with docker i think is a, is a more interesting way of going about this which is the application developers develop in openshift for example mm-hmm. um, you know they pull in just the software that they need and build essentially the you know the little container of the software that needs to run and and you have atomic rel running on the board you know mm-hmm. and it gets you know pre-provisioned as the board's built and then you 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 know you just push that just enough image within docker down so you have a very slim image but it's portable it's not device specific um and, and it's something that you can patch and manage i think in a more sane and coherent way yeah um i, I the other thing i think that will be important is something like puppet or chef or some sort of config management tool to keep your configuration sane through all of that um but uh, you know i i think that uh, I, I think that's going to be the way that these things go, especially at that mid-plane controller tier because of the complexity of the software that's running there. I mean, the, the, the gateway, the sensors and the gateways that may connect those sensors are going to be, you know, fairly dumb. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're typically going to just emit data back that's standards-based data and get, uh, you know, whether it's MQTT or XMPP or CoAP or or AMQP or whatever that is, or REST or, you know, whatever people decide. Um, and, you know, it's it, the ability to take whatever input from whatever method and turn that into a standard standardized data, you know, and, and be able to then act on it in a consistent way. I think that's, you know, you're going to have to have a deployment platform that's going to give you the flexibility to, to change and update that regularly. Yeah, and I, just to underscore a couple of the points that you said is that the the one part about being able to, you know, it's uh, having that dream of being able to develop on OpenShift and and deploy on something like like uh, Relatomic is really cool. Right. Um, from you know putting it on a train, or I, I could think about the the tactical vehicles or UAVs, right. where, which are very similar, where um, you know size, weight. Power, you know, th- things like that, or that you have all of these constraints you got to deal with, and being able to skinny that down is really important. Yes. But then the other part is that it's more than just me getting having raw atomic and then sticking a, a container on it, and then buying another system and then putting raw atomic in another container. I can have hundreds of containers on right. a single system. Right. And they could be talking to each other, and I, I think that's really compelling too. Yes, that's that's very true. Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you look back and the container technology really sort of goes back, back and has legacy, but it's really come back again. And I think it's an idea that is of it, of its time as much as anything is just interesting. Everything that's old is new again in, yes. in the computer industry. Yeah. It's just pendulum. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that, that also goes back to, you know, with, uh, like with when we were talking with you and Mark about, um, Getting the different customers talking to each other from different industries, where you know the Docker came from uh, a cloud-based, you know, uh, Silicon Valley dot com startup thing, and if they, you know, they could be successful in their internet space in, in the hot dot com sort of thing, um, but by working with Red Hat, they can address a much bigger market. Right. Right, so they, they could be talking to the military folks. They could be talking to the, um, or they could be applicable to the military. They could be applicable to you know, transportation, um, energy, and things like that too. Right, right, exactly. Um, and even in things like point of sale, I mean, I think no, point yeah. of sale terminal would be a great use case for for deploying this out um, because you know you you see these things getting you know they're thin anyway, but uh, you know a lot of the application logic is moving. On. You know, out of the point of sale terminal into sort of the back of the store. Um, yep. You know, they're essentially terminal servers. Um, and then, you know, I, that's the one interesting thing about the retail use case, and that you see in in others is you, you have to, you know, you you sort of think of that that mid mid tier control tier in retail is really the back of the store servers that yes. that ha- have all the inventory for the store and record sales data. They can operate for 
days without the being able to connect to corporate, you know, for yeah. several days. But that back of store has to work, and they've got to be able to communicate with point of sale to it. Um, and you know, there's other things within retail kiosks and iBeacon, and mm-hmm. and you know, it's also and and uh, you see uh, you know video displays that are driven based on what you know what's on sale, and yeah. that data comes down. It, it's just all getting integrated faster and faster. And you look at, at Walmart um, and how they they just crushed the competition in the '80s and '90s because of their superior retail management and just in, or, or excuse me, not retail management, but uh, inventory management and just in time inventory. You know, I think the, 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 that revolution is going to happen again in retail and it's going to be, you know, the people that can connect with the customer and customize their shopping experiences yes. and things like that. So I think that's in retail what we're going to see. And, you know, I've seen it from, from customers where they're looking to be able to somehow identify a type of, you know, have different types of customers and identify particular customers as they come through and, and customize their experience. So whether it's um, they get uh, coupons on their smartphone that that are relevant to things, that, you know, if they have baby, there's baby yep, supplies yep. and things like that. Um, yeah. Or if you're walking through the airport and you happen to walk past a Starbucks and you've opted in, you get a Starbucks, you know, Starbucks has a sale on coffee beans or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I mean, it's amazing, but it's also scary. I mean, especially in light of all the, uh, you know, both the security issues that we've seen and, and sort of the privacy yes. issues, both governmental and, and uh, non-governmental. I think, you know, we uh, the, the definition of privacy is evolving. There's personal privacy as in you, you being identified as an individual with all of your characteristics and your social security number. Yep. Yep. And then there's this aggregate privacy that we're losing, which is you as an anonymous person, everything you do on the internet, everything you do on your phone is all tracked in some way now. And, you know, you're identified and put in a bucket and, and your experience on, and will soon be television and everything is going to change based on this stuff. And it's just, you know, the internet of things is part of that. That's how they gather the data about people and, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, cameras in, in display boards and they see mm-hmm. where people look and they, they change, you know, one of the things about Google is no two people's Google experience is the that, same in search results. Right. For that matter. It's like, you can't say, Oh, search for this right. and look for the number two result. Yeah. Right. And, and they, they change the, you know, the algorithm rhythms and the ad algorithms mm-hmm. and everything are, are different. They're constantly testing and changing. And I think that's what we're going to see in retail advertising, for example, that, um, you know, they'll try to identify that it's a, you know, a, a male that looks to be in his mid fifties, you know, we're going to, going to advertise this and it, it, it's, you know, it's just going to customize more and more. And some of that's camera based uh, data that, you know, facial recognition and, and pattern matching and that sort of thing. I mean, it's, it's very interesting, but it has the power to be abused. I, that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, but I definitely think there should be safeguards um, put in place to, to assure that, that, bucket-oriented data to put you in a bucket doesn't turn into, you know, a, a dossier that's kept somewhere on, you know, that that it, it's pretty, we, from the, the NSA scandal or, or, you know, revelations, you know, they talk about, and this is a big detour, but they talk about the metadata and, oh, yeah. it's just metadata. But, yeah. you, you know, you no. can tell a lot about someone from metadata and, you know, somebody from the metadata, you can tell that they go to the go to the doctor, and then they go to the pharmacist, and then they go to a uh, you know to a, uh, a a clinic where they're getting chemotherapy. I mean, you can tell that they have cancer. I mean, yeah, there's, right. exactly. And and you know, there's a lot of areas where where mischievous things go on that you can tell a lot of people you know things about people as well. So, I mean, it's 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 just a something that we're going to have to li- live with, and I think something that we as a society are going to have to come to grips with how we want to constrain it. And I don't know whether that's governmental or whether it's, you know, societal norms and, and public pressure. Um, I don't think enough people think about it. Yeah. Or, or what's generationally speaking, right. my daughter's vision of privacy is different than Very. ours, which will be different than her children. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And, and, you know, the, the, the current generation, especially the, the teens, 
they they live their life like an open book on well, I don't know that it's Facebook anymore. I don't yeah. know what they use now, but <laughs> these crazy kids get, yeah. get off my yard. Ah, these days. Get off my yard. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean it it's interesting and there's I read an article that there's firms now that essentially you can go and pay them to erase yeah. if there's something in your past that they'll basically go and flood the search engines so that they oh, yeah, they push the results yeah. down so yeah. that they can't be found that are negative. So, yeah. I mean, there's always a way around these sorts of things, I guess. Yeah. Well, until you run for office and then somebody's going to yeah. find it. And yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And I, maybe people will be desensitized by that. And it's like, big deal. I did the exact same thing. And, you know. And, yeah. But changing, changing gears a little bit. Sure. Um, one of the things, like, whenever I think about embedded systems is uh oh it's like arm and you know and uh, different architectures and things like that what's not not to go into details that you you can't talk about (laughs) um but where do you see the industry going in terms of of arm adoption and uh how linux can play a role there or or what are some of the gaps that's preventing the adoption from being as as fast as as you would like um so we, we definitely see, um, I think, maybe four classes or architectures of processors out there. We see Intel uh, with their new system-on-chip offerings, the Atom and the Quark. Yep. Um, we see ARM, um, primarily 32-bit ARM at this point. And ARM's an interesting beast because ARM is a holding company that does yeah. design work and, and licenses and licenses it out. So there's multiple flavors of ARM. There's yeah. uh, you know Qualcomm, TI, uh, Freescale, and a lot of companies that have different different ARM. So it it does lend itself to innovation, but that is so fragmented that it it's tr- it's hard to. To really, if you look at the the traditional embedded vendors that that have been on ARM, um, it's usually a build from source, yeah. pull in driver sort of model. Um, can't sustain that. No, you can't. You can't. So I know that that ARM with sixty four bit has done a lot of work with with Red Hat and others to try to more standardize the architectures. Mm-hmm. Um, the ARM sixty four bit stuff is supported or is is. It works and is is supported within within Fedora, um, and, and I know that Red Hat is very interested in seeing that mature, um, and, and sees that as a really viable offering. I think in the in the coming up into the especially energy sensitive side of, of the data center, um, the word just went out of my head. The the really dense. Hyperscale. Hyperscale computing, thank you. Yeah. So especially with hyperscale computing and things like that. But I think it will also, over time, the 64-bit will come down into that. I don't know that it will ever get, that it will get down to the sensor level. Uh, I don't think you really need it. No. But at that control tier, I think we're going to see within the next year or two that the lower end of that architecture, the 64-bit architecture, being at that control control yes. midpoint, mid midplane um, that's where containers will converge. Where to, containers where will converge. Like, I don't need to do right. heavy duty virtualization. I don't need to have VMware and do no. a Windows VM that's running an Exchange server. You know, it's like, oh, I just want to do almost a Raspberry Pi like sized device that I can stick. Like, you know, you see all these cop shows where right. they have a magnetic thing where they stick it under, you know. Under the car, yeah. Yeah, under, under, in the wheel, wheel well. But It's like one of those key, uh, high yeah. key things. Yeah, but yeah. it's, it's going to be that size yeah. sort of thing that it, whether it's rental car companies use yeah. it or that's for your car insurance or well, that's that's McDonald's trend, use yeah. it, uh, for their, uh, you know, for their, their displays right. of, of, Oh, well, this is what we want to promote. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th- those are probably the two, the two biggest in the, the, the sort of space that, that I think that we add the most value. I think that you also see MIPS mm-hmm. um, and you see power as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, those are certainly, uh, places where you know, with the right operating system partner, um, we could you know we could go in and we could certainly run our middleware uh, products like Fuse and 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 those different products on other platforms just like we do with Windows and yeah. Solaris and so our you know our middleware products are not constrained necessarily by running on RHEL. You just need a JVM. You need a JVM, but we do think that 
in in the right market space, you know, in the right market space where Rel fits with Rel and containers. Well, you know, I think that there's enough differentiation that you know when you're designing that you may want to design on Intel or you know if and when we have an ARM 64-bit offering on ARM 64, whatever, because we think that there'll be enough differentiation and security and manageability and all those things that it, it will make it uh, you know different enough. What we're going to see is the enterprisation of of that especially that mid-tier but of the field computing or the end of the internet of things and all the security and audit and and you know compliance issues are going to be just magnified more and more the the target breaches of the world are going to get bigger you know yeah. where there's going to be more of these and that that space is going to be have to have to be professionalized and run by an it like organization whether it's you know, whether it's the same organization that manages the data center or whether there's a, another one, you know, in, in retail, they typically have a stores IT group that manages the IT for the stores and one that manages the data center side. And, so. and, I, and I think even the patching model, like you think about, you know, even comparing, say, the way you patch Windows with the way you patch RHEL, where with Windows, I basically start off with a core operating right. system and I lay it's it's like an inner tube, like a bicycle inner right. tube where you put a patch on it and a patch on it and a patch right. on it and a patch on it. Before you know it, you have more patches than you do than anything tube. else, yeah. Whereas with RPMs, you you basically put a new inner tube in every, every single time. time yeah. Uh, if you get a hole in it. But in with the way I look at it with Docker, it's like we give you a new bicycle right. um, every time. So it's, it could be that, well, maybe, you know, so maybe the chain broke or, you know, right. I, I think that's going to be really important, especially yeah. with the Internet of Things where it's like you don't want to know whether a component is vulnerable. You just want to know if you have the latest like firmware right. of, of the, the system. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. I mean, it, it, the, the, you want much more of an almost image-based yeah. deployment model rather than trying to continue to patch the tire, essentially, like you're talking about. Because that that model across, uh, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of systems is just hard to sustain. Yeah, because you're, you're not going to have two Windows systems that are literally identical. No, no. Um, you know, with, with RHEL, you can get there, but still you could have config file drift or other right. sort of configuration drift. Um, but the combination of doing the containers with... The, yeah. Config file management, say like a puppet, um, would, would be helpful. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. So, anything else before we wrap up? Um, what, no. What, what else is at the summit that you're like that? It's like you got to check out this week. Um. So I was really interested in the the Fuse and AMQ six one yeah. uh, release. Um, there's uh, full the tech review support for AMQP and AMQ mm-hmm. is now fully supported. There's a new HA model that doesn't require um, shared storage that's in tech preview now that's really exciting. Um, and just, you know, there's a whole wealth of with Fuse of new connectors and uh, things that are available. And, and, you know, Fuse has a, really seen a broad adoption in transportation and retail and government, a lot of areas. And I, I, I think seeing where Fuse has come since the acquisition and where it's going and coupled with our other integration products like BRMS and stuff like that, it's really interesting to hear all the different speakers talk. And just to hear, you know, at DevNation, to hear all the different things that people are doing with, yes. with these products. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah, because I've heard so many good things about DevNation from people. It was yeah. the kind of thing that it's like we haven't yeah, – we talked uh, on a previous episode with uh, uh, Ray Plosky and yeah. Langdon White. And um, they've done a great job this year. Yeah. And it's I've been hearing from customers saying how awesome it is. But yeah. we, you got what? Netflix. You got, um, yeah. you know, it's like all these guys coming in, especially from the Bay Area. It's a short right. trip for them to come in and talk about what they're doing. That's, that's really exciting. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, I, I never get bored of hearing what a, anybody is doing with technology because I will always learn something from them that I never thought of doing it that way or, or or I learn about a particular business problem that someone has that's unique to their business. Yeah. It's always uh, you know just amazingly fascinating. Well, yeah, in many ways for me, it's like I thought I was busy going into the summit and then coming out, it's like 
oh my gosh, I have so much more. <laughs> you know, it's, and, and it's like, oh, my reading list. Yeah, is yeah. I use Pocket. My my yeah. my reading list in Pocket just keeps getting longer, and my queue in Amazon. Yep. My yep. wish list gets longer, and it, it's. Uh, that, that's part of the problem. I wish I could uh, like play the books on tape at night and and you know wake up and have heard them. Oh it's right, just, yeah. There's there's just too much to learn and not enough time. Yeah. Um, but you know that's the great thing about podcasts like yours and uh, Richard Morell's mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Cloud Evangelist is it's a great way to when you're driving to work or driving to a customer site or driving to the airport to listen and learn and hear perspectives um, and be able to. You know, not have to necessarily sit down at your computer and read, which is, you know, it's harder and harder um, to, to get that dedicated time to to sit down and read through that list of stuff that you've been wanting to read. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're on the road like you, I know you are and I am, it's real easy just to pop in some headphones on the plane and listen. Yeah. And well, that was one of the things that, that Gunnar asked uh, Elon Mark in the last episode of being a, uh, a road warrior. What, what are some of your favorite travel tips? Um, I think being Zen is the most important thing. Don't you, freak out. Don't freak out. You've grown up. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it, it's treat every person with whatever vendor that you're, you have trouble with, with respect, yep. understand their plight. They're just on the edge of this thing and getting it. I, I would say, um, you know, you see people like when a flight is canceled, they all just immediately get in line. Yeah. You know, whereas I hop on the phone immediately. And, and you, get in line. That's what yeah, I do that, both. That's, that's yeah. right. Because you may get, get faster service. Yeah. Um, or if you're a member of a lounge, like I'm a member of Sky Club, but go yeah. to the Sky Club and get, you know, go go get help there. Um, and ask, you know, just don't be afraid to ask because, you know, if you, if you need something, like I never knew that they had the toothbrush they'd give you at a hotel until you, you know, you say, right, I right, forgot right. my toothbrush or I forgot my razor. They have stuff to take care of you and they gener- genuinely... They want to want help. help. It, yeah. It's just you, you have to ask and you have to ask in a nice way. And, right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and yeah, you don't want to have the sense of entitlement. And, yeah. Well, I have elite status and don't you right. know who I am. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I would say um, sit on the aisle if you can. That's what yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I just... I've been on. I don't know. I used to be a window guy, and no. I, I'm an and you've guy probably now. looked out the window enough. You yeah, know what it looks I, like and, I want to have that the room out to get my arm out into the into the aisle. Yeah, or if um, you need to go to the bathroom or something, yeah. you can get out without having to disrupt people. I, I think the other thing is that people don't people select flights based on times just because it seems when they don't understand necessarily, mm-hmm. and. I look for patterns to try to travel and schedule meetings based around the travel patterns. I'm sure you do too. Try not to fly in or out on Monday mornings. Try not to do it on, you know, Friday mornings or, you know, and the travel patterns, but also even within the day, you know, I try to book my travel so that you can, you can, on most sites, you can preview how sold it is and everything. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can kind of see, and it's just, you know, learning the system and the sort of the cadence of whatever your particular airline or, or hotel is. And what yeah. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, sometimes it's good to like pregame something right. instead of letting it be a surprise. So I'll look at the seat map. And if I was sitting way up in the right. front and it's all clogged up, I could have a whole row of myself right in the back. In the back yeah. and, and which is great. And I'll, I'll yeah. do that. Um, Definitely love TripIt Pro. Um, yes. I've saved, actually saved money from it. I don't know oh, if really? this has happened, but with TripIt Pro, if the price of the ticket drops... They will notify you, and you can call and rebook the ticket and get the get the. So I I save five hundred on one ticket because, you know, Delta ran a sale and the ticket price dropped by, by seven hundred dollars, wow. because uh, it was a last minute fare. I don't know why they did it, but and then so even with the change fee, I, I ended up saving five hundred. Oh, so they still bucks. charge you a change right, fee, but, but but they yeah. you know they basically. Nice. Trip it Pro look at it, and if you save money after the change fee, then it'll notify oh, you, and okay. it, it notifies you when uh, you know when your plane's delayed and gate changes yes. and all that stuff, which is great. Um, and it helps my wife keep track of what city I'm in, yeah, which is, yep. is also good. Yeah, I do that too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love that. And then uh, I, I'm sure you do the same thing. I can't remember the name of the app, but I have an app that I take pictures of all my receipts with and just throw them oh, away. Cam scanner, Cam scanner. yeah, yeah. Yep. Love that. That's made doing my expense reports a lot easier. Yeah, because it white balances. Yeah, ortho rectifies it. Yeah, I used yeah. to use uh, what's the one you see in the with the oh, neat little, neat receipts. I used to yeah. bring the scanner it's around in the Sky Mall. Yeah, catalog. I yeah. actually I had it and it was great, but 
I got tired of carrying that thing around. I'm like, yeah, well, I'll just it. take pictures of these things. Yeah. 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 But I, it, yeah, the, it, it's stuff like that. It, I think the the worst thing about travel is just being away from home, though. You know, the, the yes. Skypes and the and uh, iChat and all that has really made that a lot better. You know, yes. you can put your kids to bed. You know, my kids are old enough, and I'm sure yours are that you don't put them to bed anymore. But you know, but the guys trying to be present. Yeah, try to be present and and find out how their day was, and just you know that little bit of eye contact helps, especially if it's a long week like this. Yes. Well, we we do. Uh, Speaking of, of cam scanner, my daughter will take pictures of math homework problems. Nice. Cam scan them, send them to me. I'll, I'll work them out for her. Oh, that's great. Cam scan it, send it back. So. I hadn't thought about that, but that's an excellent idea. Yeah. yeah. And that's, again, it's like, you know, that way she's not panicking. Right. Because I can't be there to help her with her math. And, right. You know, it's, and using, using the video conferencing. Right. And uh, we've been doing a lot with, the big thing we've been doing is with, uh, just Google Hangouts, just having like almost like an IRC right. channel right. that we just text in, and I'll say, "Oh, I've landed," but it has my wife and my daughter in it, yeah. and we, we we communicate that way, and which is good too. It's like, yeah. "Oh, I did great on my test, or I did this or that," you know. So, does she use Khan Academy much? No, it's it's for her. It's just um, hours in the day. Is it's, it? yeah. it's like if she had more time, she would. She would. But yeah. it's just uh, no. Do you do? You, um, we homeschool, so yeah, okay. we we that do use it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, uh, you know, we homeschool and then we have, well, they like co-op schools where, you know, people get together and parents that have experience in something teach something. So like my son takes a class in chess or Lego yeah. uh, robotics or my daughter takes a Japanese class. And so they, they have two days a week where they go out and they do co-op school and then, um, you know, they do their regular school work in the morning and then they go to co-op school and then they have three days a week where... They just do their schoolwork and they work individually on projects. So you know, Khan Academy and a lot of other resources like that are real invaluable in, in those yeah. cases. Well, there's also a lot of these things like, I don't know if you saw the Linux Foundation is yeah. doing a MOOC. Um, yeah, all the MOOCs are really good. Uh, my, yeah. my, uh, my son has become enamored of astronomy and, and physics and space, especially with the Cosmos yeah. uh, reboot that's been oh, going right, on. Right, right. So, yeah, he, he can throw out facts about... Uh, stuff Kepler something and uh, you know just he's gone beyond my level of understanding of physics and astronomy yeah. already but and it's and the cool thing there is that he could it's as great as he wants to right. make it and right. it's not like you gotta oh it's a thousand dollar class and we gotta yeah. sign up and he may not like it or whatever it's like you try it out and it's it's really it's up to the the provider to make yep. it great um, and to keep his attention but if he can go through that that's also like I look at it as like building his resume up yep. in terms of oh well not only does it show his knowledge but it also shows his drive to want to learn yeah. um, so I, that's awesome yeah so the next step with with him is uh, there's a new maker space by us so oh, we're going to go down nice. and join it and nice. start uh, try to transition him from the Lego stuff into Arduino and and, yeah. and uh, I would definitely uh, interested in the robotic stuff and i know your experiences with that i'm sure you, you oh, may yeah. have talked about it yeah. so um yeah it'll, it'll be interesting he's definitely uh he's got eight million i'm sure we've spent eight thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars worth of lego but um, yeah well that's what uh, so there's the first lego league which is right. lego based and then like uh once you get into high school there's uh frc for right. robotics competition that's so lauren did that transformation and 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 for her she enjoyed doing the Lego part of it because she's a right. big Lego fan. But um, just, uh, and that, you know, there's no, I, I mean, there are rules for the yeah. FRC, but um, it's like they added a Raspberry Pi to it. And they're yeah. doing, you know, so it's, it's things like that of being able to, it's just really, you're, you're not limited by the block, the bag right. of Legos that you've been given. Well, between stuff like the Pi and the Arduino yeah. and all the maker spaces and the, the 3D printing. Yeah. The the barrier of entry for these and Kickstarter too and yes. and the other yes. crowdfunding, the barrier of entry into into these spaces is so low. Yes, especially for consumer focused stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, industrial stuff has has much higher levels of rigor, but even rapid prototyping in in, in the industrial side yeah. is been being rapidly changed. So, you know, I'm sure we'll look forward to in our old age, having our food printed for us, you know, oh, our, yeah, like our kids Star will Trek order and have yeah. it printed on the, on the, yeah. the, the, uh, food jet 9,000. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I just, 
boy, it's a great time to be a kid now. Yeah, it is. It you is. Know? And I, I've seen, like, I, I know growing up, you know, we would just leave and then come back at night. You yeah. Know, and it's, oh, we're playing in the woods or whatever. Right. right. Come back. But now, um, and then there was that stage where it's like kids are just sitting there playing video games right. all the time. Right. Where now they're making video games. Yeah. And, and the whole maker movement, I think, is so well, and even inspirational. The, even in the video game space, you see something like Minecraft. Yes. Which is not a, ga- a traditional game. No. It's creative in itself. And then, you know, my son and I now are t- doing a... Uh, a class online to learn how to make mods. So to oh, mo- okay. mods are essentially where you, it's open so you can create your own sword or you can create, oh, okay. uh, you know, a marshmallow or any kind of object and give it properties and have it interact within the world. So, um, you know, we're, we just started on that, but I think it's a great way for, to introduce people to programming. Oh, so I need it, to have the link for that. We'll put it in the Okay, show great. Notes. Yeah. I'll, yeah I'll, I'm, I'm going to get Lauren to check that out. Yeah. It's, it's excellent. And, uh, you know, it's fun. I mean, we talk about shared things that you do, you know, I'll just sit down with my son for, for an hour and just we'll play a, a mutual game of uh, Minecraft together. And it's just a great way to bond. And, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we're working together kind of as a team and, you know, you build a little fort or cat or whatever. And, yeah. but I mean, he's gone to the point where he went and got other mods and built like a factory that, that had a, a some sort of vacuum cleaner that automatically mined and, then had a sort a vacuum sorting system that would sort everything, and I mean, just it's just amazing things that these kids do with both it, virtually and, and physically. That's great. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I, I think we need to to head off to our next session. Yes. Yes. So thanks a lot, James, and Thank I'm glad you. we were able to get the second input uh, uh, on. And and for the record, Lee Congdon, as usual, was surprisingly nice and patiently <laughs> waited outside for us to. Um, to get out. Um, yep. So uh, that's, that was very nice. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Sure thing, James. Take care.